The Bones and Bobbins podcast is now on Patreon. Would Hooray. you like? <laughs> would you like access to bonus episodes, digital extras, exclusive merch, and more? Then join us in the Curiosity Shop, Patreon.com backslash Bones and Bobbins. Yes, your generous support helps make the show happen, and will also earn you our very very eternal gratitude and entry into our private patreon only facebook group where we basically design our ideal secret society clubhouse yep and then fill it with weird things it's great indeed and i also will post middle of the night hey look this person is using a voicey thing to talk to um they're dolls. <laughs> it seems like a bad idea. Watch it with me. <laughs> yeah, many a, I've seen this and I'm cursed now. You must be also. Yes. happens in the middle of the night in that group. Um, we are pretty much all guilty. Indeed, indeed. Uh, yeah. But it's the most fun place. It's true. It's really great. And, yeah, we just, we love you all, and... We do. Don't dox me, please. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That is true. Um, Yes, and if you want to get that joke, you Mm -hmm. should join us in the Patreon. In a dusty old shop on a forgotten old street... You'll find two witches with books three boxes deep. Next to rusty old needles and faded red thread, you'll come in for yarn, but leave with pigments instead. Whether poisons or patterns, we're always discreet. Where creepy and crafty and morbidity meet. Welcome to the Bones and Bobbins podcast. Hello. Morbid makers, we are your slightly creepy, mildly disconcerting, somewhat sinister, delightfully discomposed, opaquely odd, merrily morbid, marvelously misanthropic hosts. And this is Bones and Bobbins, Season 3, Episode 8, Titties and Teeth, Both Shiny. It's true. (laughs) <laughs> they are very shiny. Uh, I am Haley from Red Handled Scissors and the Very Serious Crafts Podcast, and I go by she and her. And I'm Natalie from Uber Dark Designs, an official true crime creative, and my pronouns are she and her. So, how's it going? Woo! Mercury is a doozy this retrograde. <laughs> it, it is most certainly... It's, it's not chill. It, there is negative chill going on, um, and I'm still fighting the mystery plague, um, which I've got it down using my Jumanji and Hunger Games theories. If you <laughs> part of our part of our patrons, you'll. You'll know that uh, if not, join Patreon so you can find out. Um, but so yeah, it's complicated. <laughs> it's complicated. But there's a system. I've developed a system. Yeah. Um, 
and it's it's just a lot of fatigue down to a lot of fatigue and then waning from zero appetite to like nauseous but i'm getting in all my liquids i'm getting some food in during the day if i don't um have like an actual bit of food for a meal i will throw some protein powder in shake it up and and chug that down. So, but, you know, it's not like I'm not thriving. I've got, you know, I'm fine. Um, yep. It's just, and, you know, the fact that Mercury is in retrograde is kind of one of those, one of those things. Because, so, I had actually talked in more in depth with my doctor. And we were talking about mm-hmm. one of the side effects of, like, longer term COVID. With kids, more than with adults... And, um, one of the things is that your body will, like, uh, sometimes your body will harbor germs or viruses and then you get stressed out or things happen and it comes popping back out, which is, like, my body's MO, like, my entire life. Like, people couldn't understand why. everybody's body does that. Right. People couldn't understand why I would get, like, walking pneumonia annually for, like, five years in a row. And I'm like, it just, it's one of those things where my body is just stellar at taking me down if I do not slow down and do not take yeah. care of myself and do not and there's been so it's much like going having on chicken packs and getting shingles right right um and there's just been so much going on with life and the kids and I can't even call them kids with my young adults and all of that and then you throw in in the last couple of months I've had strep ear infection sinus infections UTI, uh, COVID, and then now this strain of a flu that wasn't protected with the shot. But you add all of that in together, and me still trying to push forward and do all of these things, it's just kind of that perfect storm that it's going to take a while for me to actually heal because of everything. Yeah. Which is just weird. And if you don't let yourself, then it's going to take even longer. I suck at that. Oh, I suck mm. at that. Although tonight, I had eight tater tots for dinner. That's right. Eight. Eight? Eight. Ooh. I know. I was pretty excited. Um, I, I was a little tater regretful because they were really tasty. And then after, like, the sixth one, I was like, I'm getting a little full. And I was like, I can do two more. And then after the eighth one, I was like, that was not wise. Um, but it's fine. It stays down. It's just a weird thing. Uh, but at the upside. I food groups. Uh, on the upside, like, you know, I've rekindled my love for fudge pops and applesauce mm-hmm. and cottage cheese. I got a little risque and had some avocado toast yesterday. Mm. Um, right? So. Uh, That's pushing it. Right? Right, right. So, um, so I'm learning. I'm trying to be gentle with myself, which I suck at. But, you know, like, my oldest graduates in, like, two and a half weeks. And that's so weird. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> right? And then they've got prom on Saturday. My youngest had her prom two weeks ago. It's just, there's a lot. There's a lot. There's a lot of emotions going on, too. So, um, yeah, this is a busy time yeah. in your life. I, don't like I it. Uh, think it's good to cut yourself a little slack. I suck at that. I'm the worst. I know you do. Because <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> I am failing everyone and everything and everybody hates me and all my things are late and blah, blah. I, like, it's just, it's a good time. And nobody actually does and you're not failing at all. 
I love your face so much. So that's me. That's my update. Uh, how are you? You've got all kinds of excitement going on, too. Uh, yeah, mine is uh, largely house-related. Uh, I get the third floor of oh. the ridiculous Victorian um, that we have purchased. So I, I'm going to have my own little multi-room tower and uh with passage and the closet with the creepy secret door in it (laughs) that's so exciting so i am very very delighted that i am going to be the creepy lady working in the top of the creepy old victorian That is amazing. I want you to have something like they glow green and bubbling in the window at all time. (laughs) What about Great Aunt Frances? Oh, yes, definitely. She could be holding a little test tube full of like glow in the dark goop. (laughs) Like a lava lamp. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Yes. Um, Yeah, I. I think Great Aunt Frances should fit. There are window seats in one of the rooms up there. So I feel like the opposing of Great Aunt Frances will be a delight. Yes, it will be. Yeah. And so eventually there will be um, the closet passage thing um, will eventually be the podcast studio. Ooh, fun. It needs... There's some renovation that needs to happen. So who knows how quickly any of that will happen. And I might just echo at everyone for a (laughs) while. Um, So we'll see. But it's getting close and I'm getting excited. I'm excited for you. Yes. I've also been informed that I am hosting 4th of July. Oh, okay. Because that, okay. Because pool. Ah, makes sense. Makes sense. Yep. So then you host, you have pool, everybody else brings the food and the beverages. Oh, they're going to have to because I simply will not have had time to do any of the nonsense. And also, I don't even know how to use any of my kitchen appliances. (laughs) Because kitchen appliances, like, I live in an old Brooklyn apartment nothing here is fancy it's all just like light the pilot light there's not even a timer on my stove nothing is digital oh like, wow. it's, it's just fire yeah that's <laughs> and so yeah it, it i don't i don't know there it's it's going to be a learning curve but a learning curve i'm not complaining about yeah but You've got this. It's science. Yep. And it's all I it is is science. do intend to do lots of uh, the, I, I feel like when you are someone who is me, <laughs> <laughs> you're required to go like full. Rosie the Riveter pinup girl, if you have bought 
a creepy old house. Yes. And I, I feel like I'm just required to make content that highlights all of that nonsense. I am here so, for it. Yeah, so we'll see. Um, that will either really happen or really not happen, and it's unclear which way I'm going to swing. I celebrate whichever direction you go in. Thank you. You're I welcome. appreciate it. <laughs> oh, so. It's a good time. Yeah. I forgot where I was. <laughs> yeah, I don't have anything else to to update about, I don't think. Because well, then, I'm mostly just moving things. Yeah. Then perhaps this would be a good time to take a quick break. And thank all of our fantastic Curiosity Shop members over on Patreon. Uh, With a special Totally Normal and not at all creepy. Welcome to our newest member, Andrea Cruz, which I'm hoping I'm saying that correctly. If not, I'm super sorry. Please feel free to smack me upside the head and tell me how to say it correctly. But uh, Andrea's already planning on, you know, visiting Miss Mary's with me whenever she makes it to Wisconsin. So I'm super excited about that. And also a special thank you to Erica, who recently increased her tier on Patreon. I could smooch both your faces. With yes, consent, but we of won't because plague. Yes, plague. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's happening in New York right now. The plague. The uh, levels have oh, yeah. bumped up to high transmission rates once again. Woo! So that's fun. Yes. Oh. So, Curiosity Shop members, I just need you to know. Yes. That you are the best. The best. And we would totally go explore hidden old graveyards or one of my two basements <laughs> in the woods with you, possibly even at night. Absolutely. And if you want to... maybe not my basements at night. <laughs> yeah, right? It's dirt. I've seen Blair Witch. Uh, and if you want in on the fun, uh, you're going to get a huge backlog of Patreon-only me- uh, episodes, including... It's true. Next week, which I think we're going to talk about some May weirdness that's uh, up for sale at the moment. Uh, but you As never our know. usual sachet yes. through the current highlights of estate sales. Yes. Because it never gets old. It, like, it did The doesn't. weird shit people accumulate and then get rid of never stops being interesting to me. Right. They all seem like there's a story in there. Some filled I mean, with there inches and inches is of story in there. Dust. <laughs> Sometimes they're nightmares. Yes. Oh my god. Or the grim version of fairy tales. Indeed. Indeed. Yeah. So join us. Uh-huh. Please do. And, you know, we'll wait for you just a second to do that and then I'm going to talk to you about jockstraps and big titty goth girlfriends everybody needs a big titty goth girlfriend having been one myself (laughs) in the past I fully support that need I I do think and we like small titty goth girlfriends too yeah 
mm. mind you. Like, well, titties are beautiful. Great. But we're talking about big titty goth girlfriends right now because we're going to talk about how the sports bra happened. The sports bra. And how we now have actual sports goth workout wear. I am still on a quest for one that doesn't give me mono boob. I have several uh, very pricey sports bras that are flat in between and um, molded cups that aren't stretchy, that are stretchy around. Someday I'm going to get me one like that because it just ends up with one. It's like a cyclop Mm. boob in the center. Just one giant boob in the center. It's not right. Not ideal. Deal, probably. I mean, gets in the way. It's just uncomfortable and weird. Yeah. I could put a giant jiggly eye on it. That would make it fun. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, listen. I'm going to need you to do that. (laughs) Purely for my entertainment at some point. I don't care if you show anyone else, but I need to see it. Of course. Okay. Uh, I might even be convinced to draw an animated GIF of it. <laughs> Just shaking around. It's been a while since I have drawn anything of that type, but I think it we might. We can name be it Mike Wazowski. <laughs> <laughs> Mike Wazowski. Oh, oh my goodness. My goodness. <laughs> I. I feel like nobody has ever named their boobs Mike Wazowski. Yeah, probably not. I'm incapable of saying Monsters, Inc. names, apparently, so we'll just move on. Um, Anyway. I would like you to guess for a moment. When do you think the first sports bra existed? The first sports bra? Mm-hmm. Oof. That was called a sports bra or just worked well with sports? <laughs> that was intended for active women. Huh. Or active... <laughs> Batidied humans. Breast holders? Uh, um, yes. That's a good question. Uh, bras were sturdy in the cre- in the making of I remember the old Playtex yep. sturdy um, but women weren't I mean riding bicycles and the occasional croquet and tennis was about all that was encouraged for women for a very long time um, I'm gonna go well 60s we were burning bras S- 1970s maybe I mean, honestly, you're you're really close. So, the first specifically marketed bra for activity at all, which frankly was, I, I don't know, it just looks like an old school Playtex bra. Like every bra my mom had right. in the 80s looks exactly like this. Um, it was in 1975. And the company was Glamorize Foundations Incorporated, 
And I shit you not, this bra was called the free swing tennis bra. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. And the advertisement for it says, For the active woman who golfs, skis, bowls, skates, sails, and cycles. On the go! Bronette action sides stretch with you. Terry Cotlined Antron 3 cups. And then it gives the sizes. Apparently they didn't think anybody under a 34 had anything above an A which like come on that's slightly problematic yeah well I mean bras haven't been sized to fit actual that's true people with boobs ever until very very <laughs> recently um so like I said this just looks like a sturdy normal bra right and it might work if you have a modest bust. And it would probably work just fine if you had a small bust. It would do jack shit if you had anything that actually jiggled when you move. Yeah. So, um, but that is sort of the early version of what I mean I, I wouldn't even say it was the precursor to the sports bra because what would come after looks nothing like it but it was sort of the first nod to the fact that maybe women would like to be comfortable while moving imagine that and uh, yeah I know shocking right and so now I'm going to tell you a little story about jock straps okay and how jock straps became the first sports bra oh okay which that's is a totally leap. true that's a leap i did not make in my head but at the same time i mean i can i guess it makes sense you're keeping you're keeping bits in place while moving yeah and it it wasn't that isn't where the idea came from for the sports bra, um, it was already being worked on before that, but then someone's husband came down with jock straps on his chest as a joke. Ah! And, and they were like, wait a minute. Hmm. Interesting. All right, so I'm just going to start out with this quote from um, a story in USA Today, which is called. The first sports bra was two jock straps. Meet the New Jersey woman who invented it. Or women who invented it. And that's by Julia Martin. And it just, I feel like this really kicks things off in a nice way. So, Woodland Park, New Jersey. Lisa Lindahl still isn't sure why she got kicked out of the Kimberly School in New Jersey in the late 1960s. But there's a good chance that smearing a chocolate cupcake into her friend Polly Palmer Smith's face in the hallway or letting Smith hold her by her ankles out a school window had something to do with it. <laughs> Quote, my behavior was not ladylike, she said. I didn't do things by the book. <laughs> nice. Nice. Yeah. So 
in the mid 1970s is when sort of jogging as a recreational activity became a thing. Yep. Um, and in the late 70s, more and more women were taking up running and jogging. Except there weren't any structural garments that made that not be a terribly painful thing. Yeah. And But even so, there were still lots of women who were doing that. And so in 1977, the woman I was just talking about started jogging and... Her boobs hurt when she was jogging, shockingly enough. And she couldn't find a supportive bra that actually would do what needed doing. And she also couldn't sew. And so she and her friend Polly, who got the cupcake in the face, um, (laughs) was a costume designer. And she had an assistant called um, Hinda Schreiber-Miller. And the three women patented what was called the jock bra. Um, And later they would rename it to the jog bra, which Mm. was bought by Playtex in 1990. Um, So I guess the... I mean, the jock bra is funny since it it literally began its life with two jock strips sewn together. Um, But, and I I do not understand this, but apparently in the South, in some places, at least at that time, the word jock was offensive. Hmm. I'm not sure why, and uh, I did not look it up, so forgive me if you happen to know something that I don't know. Um, So they didn't want to offend anyone with something that was already going to be hard to sell, and so they renamed it the jog bra. Look at that. Back in the 70s, women were conscientious enough to do that. It's amazing. Yeah, right? (laughs) And the thing about it was the people they were trying to sell this bra to were all male buyers in sports departments because they were very, very sure that it couldn't be in the lingerie department Mm. and actually be sold for its purpose like they wanted you to be able to like uh women's specific sneakers had just started happening and so getting the equipment required to start this new hobby required that these early sports bras actually be in sporting goods sections which makes sense but uh, women's undergarments had never existed in any other department mm. except lingerie before. 
at all. And so it was kind of an uphill battle to actually sell these items that women truly did want to companies that could actually make them available or to stores that could actually make them available. Um, so it's a very, like there are a lot of hurdles that I wouldn't necessarily have ex expected. I mean, they're obvious when you think about it, but they aren't necessarily the first thing that came to mind. Like the engineering was the first thing that came to mind as a petite woman with a larger bust. Mm -hmm. It's hard to find well-fitting supportive bras. And I'm not even close to the most difficult combination of measurements to fit. And so I assumed that that would be the issue, that it would be, oh, they didn't hold well enough, or oh, they didn't look good, or something like that. Mm -hmm. But the actual thing holding them back, generally speaking, was male buyers, and who didn't get why you would need a sports bra. Which brings me to something that... Uh, I was listening to a podcast that was mentioning the early days of women's sports and talking about like when title nine passed mm -hmm. and suddenly there were women's sports and more opportunities for that. And one of them mentioned offhand that, um, am I on the right page? Absolutely not. <laughs> Let's see. Okay. There we go. Um, one of them mentioned a fact that kind of broke my brain. So, you know who Billie Jean King is? Absolutely, yep. Yep. So if you happen to maybe be a little younger than us and don't know, Billie Jean King was a tennis superstar in the 70s, and she's famous for beating the top male tennis player, and like there was a lot of excitement and also drama and also sexism mm -hmm. and also winning that was happening but she played most of her title matches before the invention of the sports bra oh so i went down this rabbit hole because i was thinking she's wearing tennis whites right what was she wearing because White isn't exactly... Forgiving? Uh, <laughs> modest, yeah. generally speaking. And so I, here I was going through photos, zooming in on her chest. <laughs> I don't think she was wearing anything. Oh, wow. I think that she was free boobing. Bless her. Like, and, I mean, granted, she doesn't look like she had a very large bust. Still. And she was basically all muscle yeah. so maybe that wasn't nearly as much of a problem 
and most of her tennis whites did seem to be tailored to her because all of the um, darts were in the correct places. Mm. So That's going to help, too. I yeah. mean, maybe she made them. I don't know. Um, so they would have been more structured than, like, Off the, the rack. athletic wear that we're thinking of. Yeah. But, like, just think about that. Wow. That woman played the vast majority of the height of her career before that ever existed. That's amazing. Yeah. And just thinking about that, like, as someone who has done lots of sports, I not infrequently end up with the awkwardness, or I guess not these days, but when I would be in, like, a gym situation. Mm -hmm. Like, bench pressing with boobs. Mm. <laughs> like, what? Uh -huh. it, that, that does not work very well. Um, like, say, wearing a life jacket. Mm -hmm. Those don't fit very well. Nope. And... Like, there are just an awful lot of things that they just straight up get in the way. Like, I was a competitive diver. And just try going all the way into the pike position if you have boobs in front. Yeah. Like, there's no place for those to go. Um, <laughs> and so it's, it's one of those things that really makes me wonder how many women have just not gone on to be competitive because they Liter couldn't get their boobs out of the way. Literal lack of and support. There, yeah, because there wasn't an option for making that comfortable. Right. Because if you're talking about a time before, like, athletic wear was largely, like, stretch knit, you're also talking about a time when any movement would be friction. Oh my god, how did all of the uh -huh. 80s aerobic suburban moms make it through there? Like, how did that... How did that work? I mean, they were wearing sports bras. Because by the time... I'm, the jog bras took off when it started. And a lot of different... Uh, like... The idea was apparently um, that one of the women who was involved in inventing it dearly wanted to be able to take off her shirt mm -hmm. and run in the summer when it got hot um, because she had a male running partner mm -hmm. and was really jealous right. about that. And so the idea was to make something supportive enough and also modest enough that you would be comfortable doing that. That was one of um, the hardest things to explain to my offspring when they were little. Mm -hmm. They used to be so mad every time they saw a guy with his shirt off. They'd be like, if we can't take our shirt off, you need to put one on. Like, they were so upset. And I'm like... I don't tell you, baby. <laughs> and they're not wrong. They're not. No. It, they're and literally the same yeah. thing for the most part, you know? Mm-hmm. Yep. 
just uh, some extra tissue. Yeah. But yeah, so it's like I I completely get that, and I like to think that that must have come completely full circle, and and I think we've probably all seen this photo, whether or not we know where it's from mm -hmm. but in the 1999 um fifa women yeah yep, um after scoring the winning goal a woman on that team ripped her shirt off and like there are photos of her in her black sports bra like muscles flexed like just she's doing yeah. the you know arm pumping yes face um and she looks like an absolute badass yes and like that's a totally normal thing that happens in men's sports but it but was. imagine oh my god i remember it was everyone was in a tizzy just a yeah. fucking tizzy and i was like are you kidding me like what and I mean, they were still in a tizzy recently. Yeah. When uh, what's her face? Oh, the the hot woman who plays soccer, because that's helpful. Uh, <laughs> There's a lot um, of hot ladies. I fell in love with the entire U.S. rugby team. <laughs> Ooh. Yeah. Yes, please. Hold on. Now I have to actually find the the name of the woman I'm talking about because. Oh, well, I can find her photo, but I cannot find her. Did Who she, I'm you? trying to remember if she got carded or oh, fined. Uh, Megan uh, Rapinoe. Oh, yeah. That's who it hmm. is. Um, definitely took her shirt off, if I remember correctly, and people were like, absolutely not. And that was, like, last year. Which is ridiculous, because there are women out there wearing far less you know, and you not only ogle, but praise them for, you know what I mean? Like, it's such a fucking weird, Yeah. can we just but... let women's bodies be women's, any bodies, just let bodies no. be bodies. Like, why do we have to be like, oh, no. if there's not, if the nipple is covered, which is a legal thing, you know, and. Not in New York. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> like, if it's. You can be topless in New York. If they're following local laws and just you know just let them seriously like it's it's fucking ridiculous people pay far too and i know why they do it because it's a billion dollar industry everything around fitness how your body looks and is covered and makeup up is just billions of dollars and in of an industry so they have to keep you you know, feeling shame of some sort to buy into it. Yeah. But God, God. I mean, the male gaze. The male gaze is the issue. Here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fucking um, patriarchy. And uh, Brandy Chastain is the 1999. Yes. Sharp blonde hair, World right? Cup. Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, no, that's Megan Rap. Was that Megan? Uh, Rapinoe. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, Brandy Chastain has uh, long okay. blonde hair. Um, but yeah, so it's one of those things where I I get mad. Right. <laughs> I get mad because all of because while trying to make 
a garment that was functional. It also, for reasons, needs to be pretty. And that reason, and you can have pretty sportswear. Like, that's not a thing that makes me mad. But that that would be a requirement for a utilitarian garment to make it appropriate to be seen that is what pisses me off. Right. Um, I would think that that would actually make it somewhat more scandalous. Yeah. So I'm really pleased that the first version of this was actually designed by women for women. Yes. Because those women knew that they needed straps that were wide enough not to cut in. They knew that they needed elastic bands sturdy enough and wide enough not to chafe. They, like, they knew that they needed openings and closures because if you were pulling just a fitted sports bra over your head, that wasn't going to compress and fit in the way that it needed to once it got to the breast. Right. And, I mean, I'm not saying that many people have, like, the pull-over compression sports bras and are perfectly happy with them. That's fine, Um, but... But if you're... If you have a larger bust, that's not going to be an option for you. And... No, in fact, I remember at one point I would put, like, two or three of them on, and it's just... You just said the cyclop boob, and that was about it. Like, it still didn't do what it was meant to do. And it's interesting, because bras are another one of those things that haven't, for the most part, evolved much. Where you would think that they would, based on more knowledge of the human body and, you know, how it works and functions and... Well, there have been some recent, like, really significant leaps um, on the subject of, like, the uniboob issue. (laughs) There are compression sports bras Mm -hmm. that are just exactly that. They are stretchy, tiny shirts that you put on over your boobs, and then they squish them into your chest wall. And, like, that gets them out of the way. And sometimes it's way more comfortable than the alternatives. But there are also now encapsulation sports bras. And these are specifically engineered for the individual breast to sit inside a cup that is structured. That's what I'm talking and, about. Yeah, the, the, and there are spaces they are meant to fit... Um, like different bridge widths and things like that. They are highly adjustable and they are made not to compress, but to stabilize. I saw one on, I saw a commercial for one on, I want to say TikTok, but Mm -hmm. it wrapped and it had like really thick, sturdy Velcro so you could pull it in like different directions to get everything where it needed to be. And it seems oh, yeah, like a that. very brilliant idea because then you can take 
a standard garment, but you have built in the ability to customize that very specifically to a body without having to really change that one specific garment a whole lot. Yeah, and I mean, depending on how the actual angles of that pull, Mm -hmm. I, I don't I have no idea how well that does or does not work in different body sizes. Yeah. I know how well it seems to work in smaller body sizes, but I mean, physics. Yep. It exists. And so uh, I've just, I've been sort of fascinated by how recent women's sports generally has been a thing. And I mean, I I knew about Title IX, but I don't think I'd really reflected on what that meant. Yeah. And how extremely recent actual supportive garments for women have been invented. Like, I, I think I always assumed that women were binding. Yeah, I mean, that way I assumed that there was like a a bandaging thing going on, but it doesn't seem like that was the case. So I I don't know. I just find. I think it's interesting that it took women who didn't know about fashion design. Mm-hmm. I mean, one of them was a costume designer, so she understood the geometry, mm-hmm. but not the limitations of standard fashion design. I just, I think it's interesting that three women who didn't know the rules actually created something that functioned in the way that they needed it to, because it hadn't occurred to men that that might be a thing that women need. Right. And just because one of them wanted to run. Which I used to love to run. I used to absolutely love to run, but then it just got really uncomfortable. You know what I mean? Like, it's just... Yeah. It's a lot of... (laughs) It's a lot. It's a lot. (laughs) Yes. it, It really is. And... I mean, good sports bras are really expensive. They are. They very much so are, which, again, it just, it, it goes into that accessibility thing of, you and know. And they wear out very quickly. Yeah. They, I mean, not visually, but the, the elasticity in this structure. structure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it just goes in that whole circle of you want people to, you know, we are very fat phobic and anti bigger bodies in our, in our society. But yep. then, you know, we're like, oh, well, you need to eat less and work out more. But then there's, I mean, when you look at those things, the cost of eating healthier, the cost of, or, or even accessibility to eating healthier, uh, yeah, the cost absolutely. of working out isn't just, oh, go for a walk. But when you are a bigger body, you still have to have things that make it comfortable on your joints so you can continue to go to maybe lose some of that weight and, and get or get stronger where the joints are stronger. And there's so many components that go into it that it's it's so 
fucking annoying for people to be like, oh, we'll just go do this thing. Oh, okay. Do you well, want- and frankly, if you can't buy workout clothes that are made for your body, mm-hmm. like, how does anyone expect anyone to be active? Right. Like, I, I, yeah. And, I mean, recently, at least, there has been a pretty solid expansion of, uh, like, name brand labels expanding sizes and also Lizzo just came out with a whole yes. line of amazing <laughs> ass leisure wear did you see Jonathan Van Ness try it on too had this little booty hanging out oh no I didn't so but cute. now I oh, have to you, you have to oh, look my goodness. Um, it's amazing the colors are gorgeous um, mm-hmm. just the whole thing is bless her I mean she's a fucking goddess and I will swear that up and down left and right but her whole new line looks amazing and not super insanely pricey and it's stuff that and she designed it so that you can wear it on its own or wear it underneath things you know it's it's really cool i like it a lot and i was it's very it is very exciting um it's exciting to see those options does circle back then to where we are at the moment which is athleisure as normal clothing. Mm-hmm. So now we've gotten back to, like, it's not weird, at least it's not weird where I live, to see women walking down the street in yoga pants and sports bra. Oh, like, yeah. I mean, that's very normal. And now, I think the last two years of a pandemic upped the athleisure. <laughs> Yeah, people are like, shit, I'm not putting on pants for you. Yeah, people are Um, like, no bras ever again. (laughs) I think that might be my favorite um, collective pandemic decision. Yeah. Where we're just like, I, I, no, underwires. Bye. Exactly. (laughs) I developed uh, a love for, I call it my house bras. Um, Yeah. And they are the old school Playtex ones. Yeah. And I got a whole bunch of friends like hooked on them. I'm like, you do not understand. I'm like, they are cheap, but they're mm-hmm. well made. I think you pay like I paid like eighteen dollars for a two pack on sale from like goals. But like nice. but and there's something about them that still has that vintage where you still feel it. They're not aesthetically pleasing it's the when you seam look placement. when you look at it compared to like you know Victoria's Secret and all that stuff, but at yeah. the same time there's something about it that still makes you feel a little bit pretty. But it it yeah they're so comfortable holds everything where it's supposed to be for whatever you needed to do around the house and stuff. I'm like, yep, house bras. That's that's what I've learned during pandemic. Yeah, and I agree. I I do wish that. There was a little more clarity in the athleisure department between fashion sportswear yes. and functional sportswear because, quite frankly, you can look super cute in a sports bra and that sports bra could also not be at all what you need to go right. for a jogger to do yoga. Well, that's um, the thing, too, is that also now... Um, and it's fine, but you need to know that that's the case. Right. And I highly commend uh, Target for collaborating with... Um, oh, and now I cannot remember. I want to say Boy Toy. I could be wrong. 
probably wrong on that, but Target has um, teamed up with, and I believe it's going to continue past Pride, but they now have launched a series of binders. Um, and oh, cool! Right, and I and I think it's so and it's so important to and here's the thing is it's not just that's a safety concern. It is a safety like, concern. That's amazing. Not just I mean for for many reasons too because binders are highly important for any reason you get a double mastectomy, whether it is considered top surgery for a transition or for cancer or for. That yeah. compression is necessary, and it's just... Like, they are supportive garments. Right. Like, I love the fact they that... They need to fit properly and right. be available. And I think that having that accessible... And the the accessibility of a teenager, um, young adult, to be able to walk into a Target and go shopping and come home with a shopping bag from Target and have a parent not think twice... Or a friend not think twice. You know what I mean? Yeah. It, it's, it's beautiful that there's that, that level of accessibility rather than having to try to figure out how they can order this thing that they need for themselves online. Especially when we yeah, have not shit. not have anyone know. Right. And especially when we have all these fucking shit laws trying to get pushed through, which is a whole other thing. But I think the Ooh. whole overall arching need for variant degrees of chest support um and the fact that we are seeing progress and accessibility is amazing and if i have to wait longer to have a an affordable accessible sturdy sports bra for my size chest but binders are more accessible to trans youth that need them i'm cool with that like i will absolutely take that fucking hit like i'll figure that shit out um absolutely so i just i think i'm i'm glad it it just kind of it it makes me painfully aware that you know we look at roe versus wade being overturned as us losing ultimate autonomy over our bodies but then you look at who the majority of the designers are for the things that we put on our bodies and in our bodies yes. and it's not us. You know what I mean? Like we 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 really need to take yeah. control on every level and not just you know what I mean? Like we we need to be more involved and in, in in everything from from menstrual care to you know to bras to underwear to you know all of those things that have oh, to sure. do and i mean there's a lot of gatekeeping there and a lot of money yeah oh god it's disgusting yeah it, and it really is um but it's it's interesting that you brought up binders because one of the specific um positive outcomes of the invention of that jog bra mm -hmm. is that um one of the reasons, apparently, that girls would opt out of athletics the further into high school they got is because they didn't have supportive wear and were either uncomfortable, mm -hmm. had too much movement, mm -hmm. or um, 
were embarrassed in the locker room. Yep. And so these the sports bra meant that they didn't have to worry as much about new boobs that they weren't used to, right. moving in ways that they weren't used to, and the attention that those can sometimes bring. And I think and Jim so, is probably the most, if you ask any human being that has passed through, especially of the female variety or female presenting, yeah. that uh, gym class is probably the most horrifying. Actually, no, that's a month. That, I, actually, that's, uh, that was a shitty statement for me to make because the patriarchy has also affected males. And if they're not athletic, then they get treated a shitty too. So scratch that yeah. rewind. Most human beings, regardless of gender, uh, probably look at, especially high school, starting with middle school as being just as, as gym class being hellacious, especially like, I don't know about you, but we grew up, um, I grew up in a town where like our middle school was once high school. So we had, uh, a swimming pool and we had to take swimming. Yep. Same. And we had to wear these fucking swimsuits (laughs) <laughs> oh god did they make you wear the the school awful swims yeah oh. it was a one piece but it was like from the 50s like it was yeah. bizarre which at the time was kind of embarrassing until like the first time we came out on those and the poor boys had to come out in these fucking speedos and they're at the age where they can't control what is going on down there. so like it was it was at that point it was like nobody wanted to look at anybody else but it's you know it's 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 so and you couldn't even now i remember arguing with before we moved and the girls in middle school like they they could not get out of swimming no matter what and i remember yeah. one of mine one of my offspring refuses to and is absolutely not comfortable with tampons nor should she have to be. You know what I mean? Like, that is not something you should not require a child to put a wad of cotton up there in order to swim a lap to make you happy. Like... No. But that... That's nobody's business. But that could not be used as an excuse. You put a tampon in and you get in the swimming pool. Really? Like, it was... I that lost was my an shit. Huh? Yeah. That was an excuse that could be used because nobody wanted to hear it. Like, um, just... Because our male gym teachers didn't want to hear about Oh, yeah, I'm so. sure. But I was uh-huh. pissed. I was like, no. No, she oh, should I not have to too. go through that. Because, the, no. Absolutely Failure. Which, it's not going to affect her life. Failure in gym. Yeah. I don't care. Like, like, fuck off with that. And right. do you really want to go to the school board and explain? Oh, that principal... In front of everyone? That principal ended up getting fired before I was done. Like, by the... Oof. Just sheer amount of every year with the dress code and just, I was her worst nightmare for the longest oh time and I was like no no absolutely not yeah <coughs> yeah well, anyway that is a uh, short stroll through the early history of sports bras and also things that we are mad about yes Gerard. 
I am not mad about mine, um, but <clears throat> was actually a little bit thrown off by how deep uh, I could have, I started to go and was like, ooh, I got to get to where I wanted to go on this. So anyway, uh, in the intersection mm -hmm. of fashion and body modification, I think there was one that maybe doesn't get enough credit. And today I'm talking about like custom grills and the history of mouth bling. Oh, yeah. And this came from, oh, yeah. like, a long time That's ago. That's expensive and skilled work. It is. So, a long time ago, I ended up catching a video about Eddie Plain, who I will get to in this, but I just became fascinated. Just fucking fascinated. Um, so, let me not keep getting ahead. Let me just take it back to the beginning. Uh, now, you know that I... I love to credit my favorite ancient Egyptians with everything. But it seems like... Uh, this did come up in our dentures. <laughs> it did. Episode. Uh, mm -hmm. But I cannot I cannot credit them with this. Um, it seems that I am not alone in some mistakenly thinking girls originated with them. Um, as archaeologists in the early 20th century found two teeth woven together by a gold wire that dated back to about 25,000 BC in Giza. Uh, yep. They first claimed the teeth were wired while the person was still alive, but it, it pretty much, they found it to be more likely that the teeth had fallen out of the Egyptian's face, essentially. And he started yeah. wearing them on gold wire around his neck. And we've covered how important it was for Egyptians to bury those with everything they would need in the afterlife. Bada bing, bada boom, teeth, put back in face uh so it was commonly thought to be the first girls probably just a gold chain but i still think that's pretty baller um wearing your that's cool yeah so according to gene mack and wear that right <clears throat> gene mackintosh turfa co-author of the golden smile the etruscans and the history of dentistry when it comes to mouth bling, both in ancient times, it was purely an Etruscan phenomenon. So, if you don't know who the Etruscans are, they lived in Italy in what is now known as the region of Tuscany. From around 800 BC to 200 BC, when they were conquered by the Roman Empire. Sadly, like, barely any Etruscan writing or documentation has survived so most of the knowledge of the era has come from excavated graves and tombs now american archaeologists started digging in rome in the 1800s but almost all of the recovered gold teeth from the etruscan times were passed from researcher to researcher searcher then brought to america and you know like we do eventually fucking lost in the transferring process uh so to all but ensure their disappearance, uh, the teeth were only written about in obscure journals, but in his 1999 study, Etruscan Gold Dental Appliances, three newly discovered examples, Marshall Joseph Becker, who was Turfa's co-author, pieced together the available information archaeologists found documenta uh, or documenting around 20 sets of teeth woven with delicate golden wire that was about the size of a thick rubber band. Now, I don't cool. associate delicate wire with a thick rubber band. I mean, maybe at that time and limitation. Yeah. Uh, but the Or maybe it was um, like 
uh, squished very, very thin, but taller? Yeah, possibly. Uh, but the earliest of those artifacts dated back to the 7th century BC. Now, rich Etruscan women were the first group of women or of people to wear what we actually call grills now. Uh, quote, certain high status Etruscan women deliberately had front teeth removed in order to be fitted with a gold band appliance holding a replacement or reused tooth, Becker writes. He found three variations on the gold bonding technique used to weld rings of gold to Etruscan teeth. It was never a dentist who applied the gold, according to Turfa. It was always a goldsmith. It was done for adornment. You couldn't bite an apple with these, Turfa reasons, as the gold usually held replacement teeth in place, but it looked pretty good. The amazing thing... Yeah, we did talk about those pieces specifically, I think, yep. in our very early um, dentures episode. So the amazing thing about Etruscan women was they actually had more civil rights than the later Greek and Roman women would have. They could own property. They would go to public banquets with their husbands. And their gold teeth further display this relative equality. Uh, These women were showing that they had people cooking prepared foods and soft white bread for them, said Turfa. They were rich and free to do with that money what they pleased. But that freedom, along with the Etruscan language, culture, and grills, disappeared when Caesar, Cicero, and the Romans took over Italy. So I feel shocked. All right, shock and awe. Um, this is this you will see is a great pattern, which is interesting uh, throughout history of essentially grills and teeth adornment coming in and going out and coming in and going out of fashion. So by 180, the teeth had fallen out of fashion. Uh, revered poet, <laughs> Roman poet. The teeth had fallen out oh, of fashion? Yep. You like that? Mm-hmm. Uh, revered I Roman do. poet Marshall wrote mockingly of what he thought was women's vain tooth replacement. Nor do you lay aside your teeth at night any differently than you do your silk dresses, which are packed away in a hundred boxes. You use your teeth and your hair that are bought, and you're not embarrassed. What will you do about your eye, though, Lelia? They don't sell them. Damn. <laughs> Lelia really... Jesus. Get, right? Lelia really got to Marshall. Like, I don't know what she did to him, but he was not having it. I just thought that I'm was... I'm guessing she said no. Right? <laughs> I just... I thought that was hilarious. I'm like, like early damn. poetry. Like, you can't replace your eye. <laughs> if I was Lelia, I'd be like, wanna bet? Uh, I so. mean... Patches right. can be made very, very decorative, uh, or with de- very decorative ornamentation. Indeed. So gold wasn't the only adornment used when it came to teeth. Um, this one's kind of my favorite. For our friends, the ancient Mayans, jade was a precious stone, and they used it for all sorts of arts, uh, masks, all kinds of things, um, including turning it into a type of grill. Throughout the classic period from 380 to 980, Mayan kings and queens would drill holes about three millimeters in diameter into their upper teeth and then fill them with round pieces of jade. The lighter, more translucent cool. shade of grade, green, the better. Which, on one hand, out. On the other hand, badass. Third hand, that must have looked stunning. I thought it was pretty. Right? 
So according to patient sheets, an anthropology professor at the University of Colorado in Boulder, who focuses on ancient societies in Mexico and Central America, quote, there are two factors here. One is to enhance their physical attractiveness and two is to differentiate their social status. So the use of jade specifically was a socio-political statement. Green was a symbol for plant growth, agricultural, and sustenance. So by wearing it at all times, Mayan royalty took on an obligation. Quote, in a brief or in a powerful statement that the royals are responsible for bringing the rains, having the crops mature, and feeding the people, Sheets explains, grills weren't for the conspicuous consumption, but for the betterment of society, a visual and permanent promise to everyone uh, that everyone would be taken care of. Which... That's cool. Right? I thought that's pretty amazing. Now, similar to the way the Etruscan grills and grills ended, the Mayans stopped inserting jade into their teeth after, wouldn't you know it, the Spanish conquest in the 1500s. I feel shocked. Right? Shocking off the fucking colonizing. Uh, as a new leader and mm. culture took over, grills once again disappeared. Quote, humans have something in common, says Caroline Archini, an anthropologist at the National Heritage Board in Sweden. They desire to change their appearance, teeth included. She first realized this when archaeologists, 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 there we go. Archaeologists? There we go. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Discovered the Vikings started filling their teeth around 980. The Vikings' teeth fillings have only been found in men, and rather than elegant, elegantly decorating their teeth with gold, the Vikings filed ridges into them. And Yikes. it wasn't to prove social standing, but to create a group identity, according to Archini. So more from a sociological standpoint. Uh, the Ouch, man. Right, Ouch. right. The Vikings filed a flat area on the tooth, that made ridges starting from the top of the tooth. They might have also colored the ridges with some sort of charcoal mix to create white teeth with dark black lines. Fucking goth. Uh, most yeah. rigid Viking teeth came from the island of Gotland, just southeast of Stockholm. It was a rich transit island that was an outpost for Vikings on their way east. Archaeologists have also found foreign coins and jewelry on the island. Uh, it's possible that Vikings picked up their habit from many travels. Though hmm. Arnichi uh, says that I've been researching for 20 years and it's been very hard to find out if they had picked it up from somewhere else. But what she is sure about is that the tooth fillings have also been found in England and Scandinavian countries like Denmark, Norway, and the mainland of Sweden. So interesting, you know, humans again. It's it's a cross culture. They 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 desire to change their appearance, and teeth is one of those ways. So um, we're gonna quickly go through it. Southeast Asia, gold was thought to link the individual to cosmological forces, and according to ancient Filipino mythology, Melu, the creator of the world, had pure gold teeth. So Filipino mortals followed suit. The earliest evidence available shows that they started decorating their teeth with the metal around 1300 AD and also filed and evenly deliberately, even deliberately blackened their teeth. Some areas of the Philippines had more than 100 words to describe gold. According to Father Pedro de San Buenaventure, 
a missionary sent to a parish in Pila Laguana uh, during the Spanish colonial period. In Bolanao, in the Pagnasian province, teeth with gold pegs were very popular. People drilled up to nine small holes to insert gold pegs, which formed, uh, quote, a delicate point, disc, or fish scale, according to the Cordillera Review Study. The process was meticulous. So gold teeth were rare and found in graves with uh, prestige, like, burial goods. So archaeologists believe that Mm -hmm. they were worn by higher social class. When chiefdoms moved to the coastland during the beginning of the second millennium AD, they became more involved in long-distance trade with socially hierarchical societies and found a greater need to display their wealth and status. And that's definitely a good old portable way to do so. Uh, There's evidence that chiefs' compounds had metal workshops, making gold teeth a permanent mark of social distinction and allowing for constant on-the-spot modifications. That's commitment. Uh, Wow. But by the beginning of the 1600s, public displays of wealth came to an end as the elite Filipinos were forced to relinquish their gold to the fucking Spanish conquistadors who, as they did among the Mayans, saw tooth modification as a, quote, barbarous practice. Ah. Fucking Spanish. Of course. Conquistadors. So, further north in the Philippines, around Caban, people wore fitted gold bands called shakang, which covered an entire front row of teeth. Although they made it impossible to speak... These artifacts in the past are the closest-looking gold plates to today's grill. In Caban, the, quote, leading women would place a plate of gold over their teeth and remove it to eat, wrote the visiting missionary Francisco Antoyan in his 1970 study, Notices on the Pagan Agrats, in 1789, revealing a similarity with the ancient Etruscans. Uh, Shikang was passed down from families as heirlooms and survived all the way into the mid-20th century where they were still worn during rituals, which I would find that to be a little bit hard to place if you were passing that down among like generations. Uh, oh, it's gold. It's soft. That's true. In Dushnabe, gold teeth glinted too from almost every mouth. In some instances, every tooth had been replaced. Ancestors of the Mayan who now live in southeastern Mexico, Belize, Honduras, Guatemala, Nicaragua, and El Salvador still wear mouth ornamentation. On a trip to Guatemala that Dr. E.J. Newberger wrote about in his 2012 piece in the Journal of Massachusetts Dental Society, riveting reading, he estimated that about 65% of Guatemalans wore some sort of gold dental decoration. In Central America, local dentists advertise their names next to pictures not of pearly whites, but of flashy gold teeth, which have replaced jade as a decoration of choice. Quote, having the gold teeth is a, is a sign that you've got enough resources to afford it, and it's shiny, adds Peyton Sheets. Gold teeth are commonly worn by Native Latin Americans throughout the region, and uh, Costa Ricans, who aren't Mayan, have a saying that roughly translates to that's as terrible as Guanacast resident without a gold tooth. Huh. Uh, wow. Right? That's an insult. <laughs> I guess. 
not as, you know, scathing as that poem earlier, but. Uh, but right. emigrating north changed this outlook. Newberger, an American dentist, tells of his experience with Central American patients who make appointments to replace gold teeth with what they call American crowns or white teeth. Many of these immigrants will give up their gold in an attempt to, to acculturate to the American lifestyle, following suit with the long trend of one culture conquering another. The fact that modified teeth had been somewhat like something to cross so many cultures and leave and return throughout history is really fascinating to me and I can like go on because it's cycled through so many. Um, I do find it interesting that there's that most of the time it was not done by dentists um, and it was more of an artisan thing. Um, But I want to take us up to the start taking us up to the modern times. So by late 1970s, gold teeth had started popping up in mostly uh, black neighborhoods in New York City. Uh, quote, I was a kid growing up between Fort Greene and Bedford Divent when I first noticed grills on some of the West Indian people in Bed-Stuy. Says, An- That's An- where I lived my first two years in New York. Nice. Uh, says Anketola Hanif, editor-in-chief of Highside, a photography magazine dedicated to subculture art and conflict. They would have one or two gold teeth. They were never stylized, mm-hmm. though. Uh, in the 1970s, parts of the West Indies and Jamaica in particular went through a slow economic period, um, and there wasn't much money for dental care. So that's where the gold teeth came in, because they could replace or cap and be permanent. Uh, not for glamour, but just pretty much that sturdy preservation of that tooth. In the late 70s and 80s, people from West Indies started moving to New York and bringing along their gold teeth and then sending money back home for proper dental care. Uh, the leap from dental necessity to, fa- to fashion started to begin again then. Uh, it's not obvious who the first rapper to wear a grill was. Um, some credit Atlanta rap pioneers uh, Kilo Ali and Raheem the Dream. When, but when Slick Rick released his debut album in 1988, his glittery grin changed hip-hop forever. Uh, though he'd risen to fame four years earlier, performing as MC Ricky D as part of Dougie Fresh's Get Fresh crew, the release of The Great Adventures of Slick Rick is what established the London-born rapper as a style icon. So on the sleeve of the album's lead single, Teenage Love, Rick unleashes a smile sporting three gold teeth, and the middle one has like a, it's beset with little diamonds. Uh, but Rick's gold teeth were distinct from the grill that we know today. Uh, around the same time, grills began appearing in the mouths of New York rappers like Just Ice, Big Daddy Kane, and Cool G Rap. This was yep. mostly thanks to little Eddie Plain. I shouldn't call him little Eddie, but he's adorable. Uh, but he is a tsunami immigrant who started making grills in his Brooklyn apartment after damaging a tooth. As details in Lyle Lindgren's recent book, Mouthful of Golds, Plain was offered a gold cap, tooth cap by a dentist, but didn't want to commit to a metallic mouth for life. So he came up with an idea of temporary gold crowns and soon began selling them uh, at pawn shops in the Queens. Um, which, you know, it's one way to go. Plain later opened his own shop, Famous Eddie's, and began selling girls that could easily be attached and removed. Uh, 
and among us first customers was public enemies Flava Flav, who wore plain gold girls for so long that you can now scarcely find a photo where his real teeth are showing. Uh, Interesting. Another former grill merchant was the British drum and bass pioneer Clifford Price, who most people know as Goldie. He was literally named after the gold teeth he both wore and sold from a shop in Miami before moving back to Britain. Over the next decade, girls began taking on a whole new form. Uh, Wu-Tang Clan members, the RZA and Method Man, were pictured with metal vampire fangs. Uh, Plain moved, meanwhile, moved out to Atlanta and opened up a new shop called Eddie's Famous Gold Teeth and made increasingly flashy girls for Outkast, Goody Mob, Lil Jon, and Ludacris. Then, in 1996, a Vietnamese immigrant called Johnny Dang, later known as TV Johnny, moved to Texas Ooh. shortly before turning uh, the grill industry, like, on his head. While working in his family's jewelry repair business, again, not dentistry, we're talking jewelry and arts here, uh, metal arts. Right. Dang met Paul Wall, a Houston rapper, gaining notoriety in the local hip-hop scene after releasing... A few mixtapes with fellow Texan rapper Chamillionaire. In 2002, Wall persuaded Dang to go into business with him, combining Dang's jeweler skills with Wall's rap connections, eventually selling grills to some of the biggest names around. Uh, Little John bought a diamond encrusted number complete with exaggerated canines for $60,000. Um, and Paul Wall soon began uh, to be like the smiling face of hip hop's news favorite accessory so if you mm. look at them um they're very stylized is different i've uh i've linked to johnny's and i'm trying to find ads i don't know that he has an actual website anymore but uh there's definitely a difference in the you know just flashy girl overlays versus with like johnny uh some of his are like rainbow colored now and there's just a cool. whole, I mean, there's just a whole, um, a whole bunch of stuff, um, that, that is different than just the standard gold teeth. So, uh, girls were elevated and pretty much immortalized in 2005 when Nelly released the Grammy nominated single Grills featuring Paul Wall mm. and starring Johnny Dang. Nelly grinned through a mouthful of fluorescent blue diamonds while, while Wall rapped, my teeth are mind-blowing, giving everyone chills. Call me George Foreman, because I'm selling everybody grills. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's pretty good. That's my mad Caucasian rap skills. Uh, and it was true. Mm -hmm. During the 2000s, uh, stars from Gucci Mane to Beyonce to Kanye got fitted with custom grills bought from Dang and Wall. But not everyone was on board. Uh, following the surge of popularity driven by Nelly's grills, and an edible backlash drove four districts in Texas to ban kids from wearing grills to school. Quote, they're gaudy, said one teacher, so let's leave them in the videos or in the shopping malls. To which I say, fuck you. Um, say so? There are a lot of things that are gaudy. Probably your highlights, Karen. Right? Your fucking attitude and your frosted hairspray bowl cut. Uh, if you're wondering about safety... Uh, According to Colgate, who literally has a whole section on their websites about, like, grill care, uh, and the American Dental Association, they do? yeah, wearing a grill is safe as That's long as you great. keep it clean and you don't wear it all the time. So, you know, it's like a retainer, you know what I mean? 
As its popularity reached its zenith toward the end of the 2000s, the grill started to lose some of its cool trends of any sort rise and fall, definitely. Um, In Barry Jenkins' Oscar award winning uh, or Oscar winning 2016 film Moonlight, uh, the grill takes on a really symbolic role when a young uh, adult in the midst of an identity crisis uses a set of gold plated fronts as part of a steely outer shell. Uh, he's grappling with you know, both black masculinity, Moonlight's use of the grill calls into question the effects of hip hop's excessive exterior on the inner cells of young men who listen to it. As Hilton mm-hmm. Alls wrote in the New Yorker, uh, Sharon's grill is just another form of armor to shield him from his deepest feelings. Uh, running parallel to the grill's increasingly loaded meaning uh, was its entryway into the world of fashion. And enter Dolly Cohen, and I've linked her Instagram, a Parisian dental technician who had turned her hand to making jewelry, uh, met ASAP Rocky around 2012. Uh, he popul- popularized the designer's work by sporting ASAP and crucifix grills on Instagram. Flacco then introduced Cohen to Rihanna, who was soon pissing off tabloids with a grill shaped like an AK-47. Cohen went on to design mm. increasingly, I'm going to use the term avant-garde, although a lot of people say horror movie-esque, uh, grills for runways at fashion shows. Um, have you seen that game where they put that mouth guard in and holds your mouth open? No. There's like I a board so. game like that, which is terrifying to me. But there's grills like that. It sounds there's, like waterboarding. Right? There's some um, just incredibly, there's some incredibly delicate ones and some like, harsh in your face um and of course there's the fangs and things like that uh but it's it's definitely uh her her instagram's definitely a good little uh little visual um and again in recent years rappers have embraced the grill as a horror core fashion item taking it from just diamond studded smiles to rainbows and shark teeth and using them to push the boundary of art and fashion with it like any other accessory um, right. From what I can't remember what song it was, but from what I remember, the most expensive grill was a million dollars, and it was worn by another other than fucking Katy Perry in one of her music videos. Uh, she really? had it, yeah. <laughs> so huh. it's it's interesting, and if you look at. Um, there's just a tiny bit of gold that was used for preservation, but overall, the history of using adornments on the teeth are um, are pretty incredible. And I love, so I love the thought of the delicate art on the teeth in juxtaposition, if you've ever seen an x-ray of a baby's head <laughs> with all of the stacks of teeth and they're waiting to come down. But then you full Which are cir- amazing if you haven't seen it. Yes. Google that. And then you full circle that over to the fangs and and such that are... Um, I saw... Oh, God, I have to find the photo. But it was not... It, it looked almost like crystal grills. And they had uh, teeth that... So that the fangs were filled with, like, red glitter. <laughs> like, just... Wow. It was very, like, just... 
that's fun. Kind of Lisa Frankie. <laughs> like, if Lisa Frank did that's horror. That's what I think of when I think of grills. But, yeah, right. But it's just. But I'm into it. Yeah. So that's my um, very brief. And there's uh, the two men that I mentioned are both amazing in their own right. And I do think that Eddie, as much as Johnny's around now and has, you know, huge following, I think Eddie needs to be credited with uh, what he created and from what. And at a time where it was not, you know, he, he paved the way. Yeah, um, absolutely. Uh, and I just thought it was just amazing. He struck me. Just that one little, like, three-minute interview blurby thing with him that I saw, like, years ago just struck me because it's not... When we talk about fashion, we don't talk so much about things like that. Like, you know, and we don't think of it because I know part of it is perhaps because it is uh, essentially a small very specific population that tends to wear them. Um, but I think it's also interesting because there's an overlap um, because grills are custom mm-hmm. and they're bespoke in the same way that like previously wealthier people would have custom and bespoke clothing, but that sort of went the way um, or went away when mass production became predominant and it's I don't know that it's interesting to me that people who would think that that was totally normal mm-hmm. aren't entirely comfortable with grills even though they are custom made pieces of jewelry and I think in all honesty, I would be willing to bet that a lot of that just comes down to fucking racism. And I was going to say racism. <laughs> it's just, you know, Could systemic be. racism because it's like, oh, how dare they have this, you know what I mean? This yeah. bespoke. So so because I don't have that and they do, I'm going to call it gaudy. You know, because, but it's not. I mean, some of them are delicate and elaborate. And the I, I have yeah. to admit the pastel rainbow ones are pretty fun. Um I don't know if you clicked on his link, on either link or not, um, in the show notes. No, but, I haven't. Um, but, yeah, take a look at him. I mean, some of them are, you know, what you expect, you know, in terms of, you know, like, bright and flashy and, and stuff. But some of them get very intricate, especially when it comes to dollies. Because she is doing, um, which is funny, because dollies, not the artist, whereas, like, Johnny and Eddie are more artists. Um, she was a dental tech. But her work is more delicately artistic, if that makes sense. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm looking at both right now. And a lot of her work seems almost like a callback to the previous, like, tiny decorative, mm-hmm. like, jewels set in, in tooth. And you can actually get kits to do that at home now, I guess. With, I don't know what, if you're resining them on there or how the fuck they're doing it, but... Oh, I, I would imagine that it's... Uh, I've that it's seen, right. I've seen, like, that's not, no, let's not bedazzle our teeth at home. Let's leave that to maybe professionals, but... Yeah, I feel like that should be the case, but I may not be the <laughs> audience for that. That's true, that's true. Um, 
but yeah, so that's my, my very quick jaunt through um, kind of the birth of grills and tooth artistry, dental artistry. Uh, yeah, I, I think that's what I would call it. I mean, it's really cool because it can, it can look lacy. Mm -hmm. It can look right. like mosaic tiles. Yeah. It can look like jewelry. Like, I, I really appreciate all of the creativity that can go into making specifically the inside of someone's mouth uh, decorative. Right. I, I like that. I think it's great. I, I'm fa I was I was fascinated and hooked from that little video, and I'm so glad that I got to to deep dive that even more and to look at it, um, amongst the different um, cultures and um, and continents and how they treated it and what they used and um, and then how fucking colonization was like yeah no you can't have pretty deep like I don't fucking like. Just. I mean, I feel deeply unsurprised by colonization being like, nah. Yeah. But it's, it's so cool how many different cultures had their own very specific way of decorating teeth. Right. I really love the jade. I really love the jade. Yeah. The jade, that must have been just awesome looking. Well, and just the, it, not only how awesome looking, but just the, I am here to protect and provide. Like, just the statement yeah. behind it, like, everything is just, ugh, it's just really cool. And I never would have, you know, just that little bit of culture to be able to learn. Like, I appreciate us and this podcast so much for things like that, that I can learn about, you know, ASAP Rocky's Grills. Yeah, the symbolism and... is fascinating. Hmm? The symbolism aspect right. is fascinating. Right, and even... I love learning little tidbits like right. that. Right, and the Vikings with the filing and the black ink, and not just, just to, just to, from a sociological standpoint, to establish themselves as a community. You know what I mean? It right. just, which, I mean... They're essentially tattooing their teeth to, you know, to go, this is who I am, which, I mean, it's permanent. You know what I mean? Like, you can't fake that you're part of them. It's not like they had Sharpies back then. You'd be like, look, I'm going to put this pattern on my teeth. Look, I match. <laughs> like, yeah. Interesting. I love it. And I also think that Etruscan women are badass, whether they wanted to, you know, whether it was frivolous to take your teeth out and eat soft bread uh, I love the fact that they had rights at a time where nobody had rights, and I feel bad they had. They're this. like, "Fuck you! I do what I want." Yeah, pretty much. Like, I I like that that at that time, uh, they could do that. So, a lot of yeah. fun stuff wrapped in, up into bedazzling of teeth. So I think oh, that no. brings us mm -hmm. to the. Weekly, Weekly words first way to die. Oh, do you have one? Yes. What's yours? The male gaze. Male, male gaze. Nice. Nice, nice. <sighs> Mine should probably be the, the patriarchy. Um, I guess 
fuck the patriarchy. Um, yeah, I'm just gonna go with that. Because uh, the only other option was to accidentally, like, choke on one of my... <laughs> have, like, a little partial grill and actually choke on it. Because um, that would be something that I would end up doing. Because, you know, spectacularly clumsy. Yeah. I feel like if... Uh, I have retainers that I wear every night, and I'm pretty sure if they were any smaller, I would swallow them. Mm-hmm. I mean, they aren't small. It's just that... There's... I would do that. Right. I, I had um, a bottom retainer, and it was very thin. And I remember being like, ah. Yeah, I have had, uh, I had to do braces twice, which is obnoxious. <laughs> it happens. Because I didn't wear my retainer. Wear your retainer, kids. Yes, wear it. Bedazzle it if you have to. You get kits now. You can actually get, um, well, you can get mouth guards in interesting colors. I mean. I don't know if you can get retainers, but I feel like you should be able to get retainers. A retainer is essentially just a shrunk fit, clear plastic grill. Yeah. I would think that you'd be able to zhuzh it up. And on that note, I want them to. Right? You want to be spooky internet friends? You could maybe. You could please. You can find us at Bo- okay. <laughs> Bones and Bobbins on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, all of the social medias, or you can just pop on over to bonesandbobbins.com. It's true. We are there. We are it's, indeed. We are. It's true. <laughs> And don't forget to rate and review this podcast because it pleases the internet gremlins and it pisses off the patriarchy. Piss off the patriarchy! Yes, let's do that. Because that's how we show up in recommendations so the other morbid souls can find us. Specifically by pissing off the patriarchy. Yes! Mm -hmm. Bring forth the morbid souls so we may conquer the patriarchy! Right? That's how that works, right? Yeah, that seems right. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And on that note, Let us leave us with some advice that you should never, ever forget. Lock your doors. And don't run with scissors. (laughs) Unless it's to stab the patriarchy, but then be very careful and wear a good sports bra. Yeah, I agree. That's fine. (laughs) Each episode of the Bones and Bobbins podcast is written and researched by Haley Pearson Cox and Natalie Hoyce. Our music was composed by Loyalty Freak Music. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Bones and Bobbins. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, follow us on Spotify, or check us out wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts so you won't miss a minute of our strange and creepy content.